0: Hello, and welcome to A Health policy. I'm your host, Alan Weil. State and local public health leaders have faced tremendous pressure during the COVID-19 pandemic. Thrust into the spotlight, they were often the target of animosity regarding business and school closures, mask mandates, and other sometimes controversial public health measures designed to reduce the harms of the emerging pandemic. Now, behind these leaders are many tens of thousands of epidemiologists, health educators, program administrators, and others who make up the state and local public health workforce. While they're less visible, their work is no less important, and in many instances, the stresses they experience are just as great. What is the health of the public health workforce? That is the topic of today's episode of A Health Potacy. I'm here with Brian Castrucci, president and CEO of the De Beaumont Foundation. Dr. Castrucci and co-authors published a paper in the March 2023 issue of Health Affairs examining the state and local public health workforce between 2017 and 2021 before and during the COVID-19 pandemic. They found that during this period, about half the workforce left their jobs with higher rates for younger and less experienced workers these data raise serious concerns about our ability to retain the workforce needed to meet our public health needs into the future. We'll discuss these challenges in today's episode. Dr. Castrucci, welcome to the program.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: It's a really important topic. And before we get into sort of the numbers and who's coming, who's going, I just want to make sure that our listeners have a good understanding. When we talk about the state and local public health workforce. What what do these folks do? Tell us a little bit about what it means to be a state or local public health worker.
1: Well you would think that after three years of a public health pandemic, that everyone would know what public health is, but that's tragically not the case. For some, public health is a group that closed their businesses or kept their children from school. For others, public health was on the front line fighting every day to keep people out of the hospital and providing prevention information. For me, I like to describe public health like the foundation of your house. It's not something you think about a whole lot, but it's essential for everything else to function. If you want your children to read on grade level or graduate on time, or if you want to worship on Sunday or have your employees show up to work as their complete selves, they all have to be healthy. So public health to me is is economic development. It's our safety, our security. What COVID taught us is that decades of underinvestment in public health has weakened our foundation, which is now being exacerbated by a new breed of conservative politician determined to take a jackhammer to the foundation of our own house.
0: So before we get into some of the threats to this workforce, and you mentioned the the critical role they play, I still think it even if we can get people to understand what public health is or why it's important. Uh, It's hard to visualize what the day in a life of a public health worker is, and I realize that they do lots of different things. But if we're trying to convince people of the importance of this workforce, could we describe like, okay, what does it mean? How do you protect my foundation of health?
1: Well, I think this is part of our challenge is when you think about how we're acculturated in in our society, We understand what doctors and nurses are. We've all had that experience of going to the doctor, of being unhealthy, and then having ourselves kind of return to health. But what we don't understand, and we're not even taught, that there's this indelible link between community health and individual health. And so public health is there to ensure that each of us have an opportunity to live our most healthy lives, and that's through policy change, understanding disease dynamics, changing traffic patterns to, to know that there's a, there's a stop sign where a lot of people are getting into a car accident. So that should be a stop light. Those changes to our environment, to where we live, to where we work, to where we play, making those places supportive of health. That's what public health does.
0: Okay, so we need a strong workforce if we're going to go about the business every day. And I like your contrast with the clinicians, doctors, and nurses, that we we kind of know why we go, and we know what we think they're supposed to do when we get there. A lot of what keeps us healthy is invisible on a day-to-day basis, and so we don't have sort of a mental map of of what these folks are doing to help us until, as you noted... They seem like the face of people trying to shut down our schools or business, which, which is uh, not what they do most days. Now you focus on the workforce, and this is an area I know of great interest and concern to you, not just in this paper. Uh, recruiting and retaining the public health workforce has been a challenge, you know, predating the COVID nineteen pandemic. So, give us a little of the context, if you would. We can't just sort of look at. Departures during COVID and say it was bad, if it was bad before then, then uh, clearly the problems are, are more systemic. So, what, what can you tell me about challenges uh, having a solid and uh, uh, retaining a solid workforce in state and local public health?
1: There are many structural reasons why recruitment and retention is lagged in the public health workforce. Salary is the most commonly cited reason, but also limited opportunities for growth and often an inability to move vertically within governmental organizations. Like so many industries, we have a multi-generational workforce and older Americans are staying in jobs longer and that limits promotional opportunities for earlier career professionals. Uh, Generally, I, I don't think the state of state and local governmental human resource departments has made the evolution to think of themselves as talent acquisition or talent recruitment. Often they find themselves beholden to archaic and outdated processes. And the competition has increased. Google, Disney, and the Federal Reserve were not destination employers for public health practitioners when I first attended a school of public health way back in 1997. But that's all changed today. So governmental public health is often having to compete for staff with fewer resources, and less flexibility than its competitors. We also have to look at just the structure of the workforce. We are often contracted workers, transitional. We're only there for as long as the funding pays us. And that's typically funding from a philanthropy or from federal government. And so permanency of the workforce is always being threatened. And you saw that through COVID, all of the public health staff who were hired for the pandemic response when the pandemic had, had waned then they were gone.
0: So you describe a really tough uh, work environment, uh, which I can really understand this sort of project pro- uh, to project hiring and firing. Uh, archaic uh, systems, maybe uh, not a very good career trajectory. Um, This notion of competition with the private sector, we could have a whole podcast about this. We don't have time to go deep into it. But I I think that's a really interesting point is that even as it's devalued in the public sector, the private sector's had a a realization of how important public health is. And so people who have that expertise are very valuable in the private sector, even as we devalue them in the public sector. Um, Let's look at your study and the survey data you analyzed Um, I'm just going to sort of ask you to give the top line here. You're looking at departures from state and local public health jobs. Uh, What'd you find in terms of departures and maybe a little bit about who uh, stayed and who was more likely to go?
1: So we've conducted the Public Health Workforce Interest and need Survey, which is PHWINS for short, three times in 2014, 2017, and 2021. And the workforce has always expressed high levels of intent to leave. This study is the first that we know of that could actually examine real departures. And the findings are super concerning. We found that between 2017 and 2021, 46% of the staff in state and local health departments left their organizations. That's, that's half. Half of the people who were there to ensure our food and water are safe, inspect our restaurants, work to prevent injuries, help to ensure gun safety, reduce opioid deaths, and protect us from emerging infectious diseases, they're gone. Uh, Imagine if you were getting on a plane and you heard that we lost half of all of our air traffic controllers. Would, Would you fly? Or if we lost half of all our teachers, how would we educate our children? You know, Senator Bernie Sanders and Surgeon General Vivek Murthy have brought attention to the needs of a diminishing health care workforce, and that's a significant need. But if we don't address the public health workforce, you won't be able to hire enough doctors and nurses to meet the need. Public health is that first line of defense. And if it's gone, the consequences for every aspect of our lives will be disastrous.
0: Wow. You know, I I am trying to imagine losing half the workforce in just a handful of years. And as you note in the survey, there are certain younger and shorter tenure where the rate's even higher. Can you say
1: a little bit about that? The 50% number is bad enough. But among the youngest and newest public health practitioners, they were the most likely to leave. 74% of workers 35 years of age or younger, and 77% of those with five years of experience or less in 2017 were were gone. Again, it's three quarters. That's three out of every four under 35-year-olds are gone. And and we know that since 2008, there have been a, a wave of delayed retirements that can only be delayed for so long. Now we find that there is this early exodus among younger people in the workforce. When these trends collide, when we lose young people at the same time more senior leaders begin to leave in droves, it could be a disaster of epic proportions. It would be a perfect storm, taking direct aim at our nation's continued safety, security, and prosperity. Those are the stakes we're gambling with. And we need to wake up as a nation and figure out how we fix this problem and not just solely focus on health care, but health workers generally.
0: Okay, well, we have to turn to how do we fix this problem. Given these data, that's got to be where our focus is. I'll talk to you some more about some of the potential solutions and some of the implications of these findings um, after we take a short break. And we're back. I'm speaking with Dr. Brian Castrucci about departures from the state and local public health workforce. Before the break, we got the bombshell results of almost half of the staff leaving and almost three quarters when you look at younger, shorter tenure workers. Uh, Before we talk about what to do about this, there is a dimension of the work that may seem a little technical, but I found it particularly interesting and I want to make sure I understand it and that our listeners can understand it. You mentioned that we've, in the past, known about intention to leave, but now we have data on actual departures. And you know, when I'm thinking about forecasting and how you plan for what your workforce is going to be, what information do you have? Presumably, knowing that people plan to leave is helpful, uh, but it's but plans don't always play out. So I wonder if you can tell me a little bit from the work you did about whether people saying they're going to leave turns out to be a very good predictor of whether they will leave or not.
1: Intend to leave throughout the business literature is generally a good indicator of actual turnover. However, unpredictable events like the COVID-19 pandemic can cause unusual patterns. In our most recent survey, we found extraordinarily high levels of stress and burnout. The impact of this is that the rate of departure for people who did not report and intend to leave in 2017 was much higher than the rate of departure among those who didn't report and intend to leave in 2014. So what we're seeing in these data for 2021 is that those folks who intended to leave left and those folks who didn't intend to leave, they left too. That's what's making this a real critical time because we're seeing that confluence of leaving throughout the entire workforce. And one of those situations where intent to leave was a a good predictor, but not intending to leave was actually not a good predictor because those folks still left too.
0: Yeah, that's a scary situation to be in. So if we're going to talk about solutions, I think one of the things we need to understand is what makes people want to stay. So your study asks people about job satisfaction. And what does it, What are the ingredients of someone who's satisfied enough uh, to want to stay in these jobs?
1: For workers who said they weren't considering leaving their organizations, there were two common reasons for staying, the benefits and job stability. Of course, supervisory satisfaction and organizational satisfaction were critical to people staying and, and feeling good about their job. We also have to recognize that the governmental public health workforce is an extremely mission-driven workforce. And so part of retaining these employees is ensuring that they can achieve that mission. And that became much harder throughout the pandemic. And even now, I worry about our governmental public health workforce in places where the governor and the health official have turned their back on science and facts or turned down needed federal funds for disease prevention or introduced legislation that weakened, if not crippled, future public health response. And of course, just because public health is strong in one place, that doesn't really matter. Public health is like a chain, only as strong as the state with the weakest public health system.
0: Uh, There's a lot there that I wanna follow up with you on. So first of all, there are ingredients of jobs that make people wanna stay. And that's good to know, because if we're going to address this, we've, we've, we've got to be able to look at those strengths. But then you also mentioned sort of the, the political dynamics that if you're mission driven and you don't feel supported, if you don't feel like the mission of your daily work is being supported by your departmental leaders or your political leaders, then even if you have good benefits, even if you have a good job, it's hard to feel motivated to come in every day. Um, in the wake of those stresses i 'm not sure I know what to to ask you about the leadership issue if if, if uh, public health is under strain because of of politics i don 't know that we have a, a a natural fix for that, although maybe maybe you have an idea that that i 'd like to hear um, but i'm also thinking about um, this issue of sort of the links in the chain. How do we think about assuring not just a sufficient workforce where we are because we have some control over that, but assuring that there's a sufficient workforce everywhere because we're all affected by wherever is the weakest link.
1: This is the major challenge coming out of the pandemic. We all understand federalism a whole lot better and that public health is the responsibility of the states. But I don't know that we ever imagined a time where we would treat pandemic response like some choose your own adventure book. You had governors opening up restaurants, bowling alleys, and movie theaters at the same time that their health department was trying to hire contact tracers. So we need a reckoning. We need a reckoning in this nation that we cannot protect ourselves from emerging infectious disease, each working individually. This is not an ideological debate. This needs to be a practical conversation. We need to find those things that we can agree on and move from there. But what we're witnessing in a state like Florida where the health department is putting out analyses that you wouldn't publish on, in health affairs on your worst day, And using that in that state to make policy about who should get vaccination, this is something I never thought I would see in my public health career. And so we have to call out misinformation. We have to rebuild trust. We have to be present in the lives of our community members. They have to know us. That's how we're going to rebuild trust. And we need people, we need elected leaders, community leaders, faith leaders to support their public health practitioners. But you can't support someone if you don't know them. And so that's the job for the public health practitioner going forward. Be out there, be known and be engaged.
0: Well, that seems like a a good starting point when we're worried so much about trust. Um, I am curious, uh, we have heard for decades about the underfunding of public health in general. And you mentioned uh, that as a relevant factor around employment. In the paper, you do say that we need new funding to support the public health workforce. I doubt anyone who's looked at this issue would disagree. But you also say, and here's just a short quote, funding alone will not adequately address the current workforce challenges. Now, I suppose we've discussed that some, but I'd like to give you the opportunity to say a little bit more about that topic.
1: Yeah, I think the Beatles taught us that Money can't buy you love, and it certainly can't rebuild our nation's public health system. The $3.2 billion invested by the CDC is a great start, but it needs to be sustainable. Also, these funds are going to be filtered through governors' offices, governors who, like I said, opened bars and restaurants during COVID while their public health departments were trying to hire contact tracers, governors who opposed basic public health prevention efforts, who fought mask mandates, who openly railed against the vaccine. So we have to confront this misinformation and politicization, or it's gonna erode not only our health, but also our economy and our military preparedness. Now, for those who are actually interested in building a strong and vibrant public health infrastructure, in addition to the funding, we need to seriously reform and streamline our governmental hiring systems. We absolutely have to reduce the burden of student debt by extending loan forgiveness and service scholarships for public health practitioners and make it easy and accessible. We need to offer supervisory training tailored for government practice. We are far too often hiring people for technical expertise in our leadership roles rather than their ability to work with and lead people. So we need to train those skills into our supervisory workforce. We have to create recruitment pathways for people with bachelor's degrees, create mentorship programs to prepare early career professionals for eventual leadership roles. We have to actually improve the systems that monitor and track our workforce trends so that we can anticipate and address challenges. And lastly, we have to find ways to pay for public health services and infrastructure at the state and local levels, and not simply rely on federal funding. That's the recipe to rebuild public health in this nation. It's now a question of, will we have the political will to do these things? Or will the politicization that is infiltrating public health derail our ability to rebuild and essentially threaten the future of our country.
0: Well, I sure am glad I asked that last question, because listening to the first 10 minutes of our conversation, it was pretty easy to get depressed, and there's a lot to worry about. But it's quite clear from your answer to the last question that there are some great ideas and great models out there for how to address these barriers. There's a lot of work to be done. There's the need for political will and commitment, all of those things. But it's not that we don't know what we need to do. In some instances, we really don't know how to get from here to there. It sounds to me like you have, and the evidence uh, shows that there there is a way from here that uh, gets us to a stronger public health uh, infrastructure and a stronger public health platform and a stronger public health workforce. So, Dr. Castrucci, I appreciate the work you've done in this area. I know it goes far beyond this paper um, and your commitment to making sure we have a healthy community and uh, states and country and world to live in. Uh, Thank you for being my guest today on Health Podacy.
1: Thank you. I appreciate it.
0: Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, I hope you'll tell a friend about a Health Podacy.